want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Welcome, exit interview, faithful. We are so privileged tonight to have Dr. Jeanette Patterson with us. And uh, we are going to hear her story. So sit back because you know it's a great one. Uh, so Asia, do yeah. what you do and take it away. All right. So I met Dr. Patterson and I want to say 2010. Um, and I'll let her share her story. But we kind of intersected when I was thinking about teaching middle school. Um, Absolutely. So little, Shout out to middle to school middle teachers. The Shout faithful. out to middle school teachers. Middle school. Right? I, <laughs> yeah. the, the Lord's work. It's the only job that people say, oh, we, we, you tell them the grade level. They're like, oh, that was the worst time of my life. <laughs> the best time of mine. <laughs> oh, there yes. you go. You're lucky. You're one of the special ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah, seventh, seventh grade, I never. But so we met back then and um, I ended up teaching middle school, not at her middle school, but I did end up teaching middle school that following year. And mm -hmm. so I haven't talked to Dr. Patterson since then. Um, so kind of following her, I believe on LinkedIn saying like, wait a minute, she's left um, the K-12 space. Let's hear what happened, what the story is. So she's here to share with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, um, the field of education has always been in the forefront of my mind. And even when I was young, so even when I was in the fourth grade, I knew I was going to be a teacher. Um, when you take those um, Iowa basic skills tests and you get your numbers back and kind of it, it kind of drives you in your pathway on the direction you're going to go. And it said I was going to be a history teacher. And sure <laughs> enough, I was a history teacher. There we go. Um, so just growing up, I knew I was going to be a teacher. I um, started out with um, in high school when because in my high school in Kansas, because that's where I'm originally from, we did a wills and testament. And so my will and testament was to be a school teacher. Oh, wow. And, and sure enough, I um, went to Hutchinson Community College. I've done all of the I've done all the college levels. I've done community college. I've done, uh, you know, Emporia State University for my bachelor's. My master's would be uh, University of Phoenix. And my doctorate is Nova Southeastern University. So I've been to all levels of college. And Knowing that, um, I always know it's going to be a teacher. I was always interested in education because I followed the footsteps of my uncle. He is John F. Henson. He's now deceased, but he has this. We have the same doctorate degree, same university. I just got mine 23 years later. Wow. Um, I come from a, a family of educators. My uh, mother was a school librarian for 32 years. Uh, my father was the first African-American on the school board in Wellington, Kansas, and has always been that only African-American that served. He also served mm. at the state board level as well. He did some work with the Kansas State Board. And so we, we I come from educators. My uncle uh, John was a high school teacher, and he ended up going to community college. I thought I would follow his footsteps, but I always stayed in K-12. And so... When I started in public education, I started as a substitute teacher. 
I always knew I wanted to be in one of the higher performing school districts. Um, and so I chose that school district and I started out as a sub three, I only subbed three days and I had a part-time job. And what was ironic about this is that it was, ha it was in the middle of the school year, it was in January. Um, you know, when no job, there's really not any jobs available, but they needed yeah. an extra person. And so I taught elective classes. So I taught drama. I never taught drama. I was a social studies teacher. That's <laughs> cool. And um, I taught how to do mimes and all kinds of stuff and study skills, just some of those simple elective classes for middle school. So I was teaching sixth grade. I was hired on in um, in the for the fall as an eighth grade social studies uh, teacher in the early 90s, 91, 92 school year. And I, um, I had a ball. My first year, I was uh, named the uh, teacher of the month through KCNC Channel 4. All right. And, cool. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I, I believe that when you're teaching kids, you make kids feel comfortable in your classroom and you have fun. Yes. It can't be boring. Who wants to be in a boring classroom, right? Nobody. So I was... <laughs> So I was, um, you know, in that classroom with those kids. I wanted, I always wanted the African-American students because I was African-American and I wanted to see yes. kids that look like me and I wanted them to see me, that they can do this too or even more. And mm -hmm. the school district wouldn't give me all of them. The school wouldn't. They were like, no, Jeanette, we got to pass all these kids out. Well, you can't have all of them. But they gave me as many as they could. And I said, okay. I love that. I love I'll, that. I'll, yeah, I'll take that. And so I taught for five years. I taught social studies. Then I went into a dean's position uh, where I did a lot of discipline. And so, you know, a dean's job is really hard, but you can impact so many kids' lives um, where you can help them, you can guide, you can work with parents. I mean, because usually when some kids, not all the time, but most kids that are troubled and they're having problems, then obviously there's probably some problems going on at home. And so you really have to build relationships with parents uh, to know that you're treating their child fair and that you care about their child, even though they made some bad choices. And so mm -hmm. I've, I've had some some great experiences in the dean's office with working with families and kids and, and then going into the assistant principalships, um, working with um, families at two middle schools. So I've always done middle school. I did 24 years there. Oh, um, wow. Nothing, I didn't go elementary or high school. I just went middle school and I moved into another middle school. And what was different is that my first middle school, I, um, it was, it was fun. I thought it was the only middle school that had parties, you know, like people would go to happy hour until I went to another school and it was a higher performing school mm, and it yes. was different. Yes. And, yeah. And, and, and the, here's what it was. I was at a school that had predominantly black and brown kids. It was more diverse. Yep. The other school I went to was predominantly white and it was like, boom, boom, boom. Night and day. Boom. Night, Night and day. day. Absolutely. You're, Learning you're, was different. You see the inequity confronted by it right off the bat. Abs absolutely. Walk and, in the door. Walk in the yeah. door. Yep. It was a whole different um, environment, culture. Parents were knocking on the door, advocating for their kids. I mean, whatever you can imagine. I mean, you can read in the books about how all these kids are being successful. And I saw it with my own eyes. And then I went back to the school where I started teaching and I was the principal and I had an opportunity to make some changes. Um, the one thing that I did there is that I, I love the kids and I interacted with the kids and I was hands-on. Yes. I wasn't somebody that always sit in my office with, you know, just do paperwork. I was out there with kids. My team was out there with kids. Kids knew me. I knew them because here's the thing. If, if you're running an organization, then you need to be visible and kids need to know who's, who's running the show, you that's know, who's right. in yeah. charge. And that's what I told them. I said, I'm in charge. So if you got a question, you come to me and we can figure it out. And um, I just, I love those kids. I would greet them each and every morning. 
as they came in the door um, and I would see them on their way at the end of the day. As a matter of fact, during my tenure um, as a principal, we created what we called a Husky Watch. So, you know, like the neighborhood watch, Um, we created little Husky cards and we went around the neighborhood and like our phone numbers, the school phone number, my phone number was on there. And if we, they saw our kids doing something naughty, or if they saw the kids doing something great, they could call the school and let us know. And we, it worked. We had a lot of parents, you know, call and say, come have coffee with us and watch, watch the kids go to school. I can't have coffee. We got 1200 kids in the building, (laughs) but, um, but we did see some things that were happening and we addressed them right away. And kids went and apologized if they were kicking over trash cans or digging through mailboxes. Cause we're talking middle school, right? Yep. 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 All, all the mischievous things. I know that's right. So I did a a lot of that. I, I worked with the climate and culture. It took us a long time. We took a school that had about 1,585 referrals for 1300 kids and wow. so we we got it down to about 400. That's awesome. Per wow. year. Yeah, it That's was awesome. hard, but we did the work and it was really the climate and culture. That is what's so important in public education. And then after being a principal, I took a year off. I uh, worked with my church. I um, yeah. I did a uh, facilitated a grant called Race Policing and Community Justice Advocates. So I taught high school kids how to teach their peers on how to be race and community advocates and justice advocates, like knowing your rights and recognizing uh, when something is wrong, what to do, how to talk to the police, having an understanding of of your culture. Yeah, so I I, I wanna back up a little bit. I'm I'm thinking about um, the Husky Watch, which I think is brilliant. And for the folks who are listening out there, how do you incorporate this, this kind of idea in schools all over, right? Again, she's talking about like the positives too, right? We're not here. That's to, what I love. Like- That's what I love. Yeah. It's not just, what do we do? We catch them doing the right thing, right? Yeah. Which they do more often than not, more often than not. Yeah. We, um, the Husky Watch was really interesting. It was closer to the end of my career in as a principal. Um, we noticed that kids were doing some things out in the neighborhood, like, you know, they're walking home and they're digging in people's mailboxes and yep. stuff like that. So you have to address that. Um, and so I thought, what if we did a neighborhood watch where we go through the neighborhood and give everybody one of our cards and they put it in their window or in their, their door area so that our kids could see it. And so prior to the school year starting, we walked the neighborhood, canvassed the neighborhood, knocked on doors, um, said who I I introduced myself, my assistant principal. Uh, One family said, we've never seen the principal. We've been here for 30 years. They've been Mm. there as long as the school has been there. I Mm. said, yeah, I'm the principal. And explained to them that this is um, the Husky watch. And we'd like for you to put them in your, the card in your window. And, um, some people are like, fine, absolutely. And then they could call us if they saw our students doing something great. And they could call us and let us know if they were doing something naughty. And we've got some great calls and we've got some naughty calls. And it worked. Sure. sure. Did you and get, that's, oh, sorry to cut you off. Did no, you that's get, okay. get pushback from your community? Well, not from the community, from other teachers, seeing how this is probably new to them. Was it like, oh, I don't want to go out and knock on doors or I don't think that's going to work? Or but were people like all for it as long as they didn't have to go out there? The teachers, were, the teachers were very supportive of it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that we were working with the community and mm-hmm. I didn't have the teachers go out. It was our leadership team that went out because people need to know who's in charge um, and who's, whose school is it and who's representing the school. And I wanted to be that person out there. So I didn't ask the teachers to go. We were going to do another round in another part of the area, but we never got to do that. And that's when I would have had the teachers go, but they were very supportive. I explained to them in a staff meeting. And then I also explained to the kids what it, what it was, because, you know, I had to explain to them that they were being watched. And I think it's important that Anytime that you're in a leadership role or if you're in any role, you're being watched and you're representing an organization. And that's what I wanted them to understand. People are watching you. 
And they're when they are watching you, they expect to see the best of you and not mm-hmm. the worst of you. And that's that's what I wanted to get to the kids. And so they knew they were being watched. That's awesome. And how long were you a principal? I was a principal for eight years. Um, I started in the fall of 2007. Um, interesting how I got my job. I was getting a facial <laughs> and I got a phone call. <laughs> nice. nice. And this is all your teaching career. It sounds like you went to school out of the state, but your teaching career has been all through Colorado the whole time. My, or my career places? is my career is all in Colorado. I spent 17 years in the school that I started at. Oh, and wow. six years wow. in two other middle impressive. schools. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. So I think, and I know you talked about, we kind of skipped ahead and talked a little bit about taking this year off and working within the community at your church. The question we always ask um, our participant participants, my doctoral hat is on. <laughs> we ask our guests, is like between the time that you, like the, what was the decision or what was the situation where you decided, you know, like it's after all this time, it's time for me to take a break from being in like a traditional K-12 space? It's, it's you know what, um, at some point you just, it, it takes a toll on you uh, with all the bureaucracy, you know, all the rules, all, all the changes that, um, that are, are, that continue in public education with you've got to do this plan, you've got to do, you know, you've got to get your teachers going here, your, your kids are, you know, out of control, et cetera, et cetera. And so at that time, it was time for me to leave. And I knew it, my gut said it, as a Christian woman, um, the good Lord told me it's time to go. Asia, ding, ding, ding. Second time, the good, on the exit interview, that the good Lord has been the messenger. So I, I think we are gathering plenty of evidence to listen to the good Lord, that voice, when you hear yes. it. <laughs> yeah, we had a guest, Dr. Donna. I can't remember her last name right now, but she also had this, com- she talked to us about, and hers, her conversation was definitely, we were wild by it, but she talked about how she was really seeking God to say like when it was time to go. And she she had all her stuff packed one time and God was like, nope, not yet. So she had to put everything back, right? But she really felt guided and she didn't leave teaching until she knew it was time. And when it was time, it was like the perfect, it was perfect. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And that's what happened to me. Um, it was mid-year I left. <laughs> um, and it was a sermon that T.D. Jakes preached. I can't even remember the name of it, but he preached a a sermon and I knew that message was for me. And mm. you know when things are are right, it's when they when you just slide on out and slide into something else. And I did a couple of months at uh central office and then I said I'm leaving. I, I've got to go. Mm-hmm. Um the principalship is a hard job and I don't think people realize how hard it is until you're into that role because you're trying to meet the needs of your community. You have to make sure your students are learn are learning and you have to be able to support your teachers. And so you have all these people coming at you, plus you have your district office who's setting up every parameter and rule for you to to move forward and just meeting all of that. It's a heavy, heavy, heavy load. And I don't believe everyone realizes that until you're in that role. And I was in there eight years. It was a long eight years and I was gray. I mean, I went in my first year and I came out gray and you don't always take care of yourself because you're trying to do what's right for everybody else instead of doing what's right for you. And it took a toll on me. I had some um, health issues after coming out of the principalship because of the stress and just it, it tears you up. And I needed to yeah. take that time. So, but God is the one that did tell me it's time to resign and help me write my letter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we. I like the way she said that. Help me write my letter. I, I got to feel there's something back there behind that. We might get to that, Kevin. We might yes. get to that and help me fi- write my letter. I think Kevin and I, you know, we've we've had so many. And Kevin, I know I'm talking a lot today. You, you go. You hey. Um, you go. So we talk about our our podcast, and we're not we're not going to say that what you're saying is that you experienced racialized events. That's not what you said. 
but we we do talk about a lot on this podcast about racial battle fatigue and the ways that black educators experience like emotional, um, behavioral, physiological, psychological strain, mm-hmm. and like how we respond through, you know, for some of us, it is um, an inability to sleep. For some of us, it is um, like this prolonged um, overworking. For some of us, yep. it's crying. It's like so many things. And as we're going through our podcast, folks always talk about and like I said, you didn't mention it being racialized, but a lot of people talk about like the mental piece and like crying in the car, being hospitalized for stress and panic attacks, because on top of just the role of education period of being a teacher or a principal or whatever, period, there's other layer right on top of that, uh, that involves race and racism in the school systems. Well, when you're, a, when you're an African-American leader, and you go into a predominantly white teaching staff and have that, absolutely, I had those experiences. Um, but you're also covered by the blood, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's who I had to lean, learn how to lean and depend on. Um, and then I had staff. So what I did as a uh, principal, I hired a predominantly uh, staff or leadership team of color, except for one white guy. I just had a white person on there, but for the most part, all my people, I surrounded my people that looked like me and had those experience and could understand um, what was going on with our kids and to help our families and kids. Um, I've had a a number of experiences where I've been talked about and um, I had a really, really tough time with the teachers union and they were meeting underground and wanting to get rid of me. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an assistant principal when I first started that was just all over the place and talking about she was going to have to train somebody and and HR was like, I don't think so. And they got her out. of. I mean, just. It, it's it's on and on and on. I you know during that time we were doing a lot of the equity work in the district, and yep. um, I led a little, but I had to have white counterparts lead most of that work. So because white people listen to white people, yes. Um, and and so even though I was the leader and we had people on an equity team, um, I had the white guy lead the work. Yep. He, re- he led the, pri- the privilege walk. I participated in the privilege walk because mm-hmm. people needed to see me that I was in the back too. Yep. You know, yep. things happened to me too. And, you know, we saw the tears and the, you know, complaints and the, just all this. It's, it's, you're right. You know, there's the struggles of white teachers not wanting to help black kids and talking about families. And I mean, I had a teacher that, called a a little African-American eighth grade boy, a tribe. He's walking around here with this tribe and he was an African-American boy. And I I had to call her in and talk to her about race and said, that's racial. And she put it out on on email and the next, and in the spring she retired because Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to have it. You know, just a lot of stuff was going on. Kids were being targeted and you'd have to address staff. And that was the hard part of my job. But it happened and I made it out. Yeah, yeah. What an interesting way to say that. I made it out. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I did. <laughs> Some, something that you had dreamed about for, I, I think we have to point this out in your story. You had dreamed about since a child, since being a yeah. child, right? But you made it out of it. Like, I, I think that's what we have to understand. These are things that we had dreams about as young people and went into intentionally. Yeah. And, and in the end, it becomes like a nightmare, right? So dreams become nightmares. So, and just think about that for kids, you know, kids have dreams. They come in and they want to be lawyers, doctors, astronauts, what have you. Yes. And then they're disappointed by a teacher who says they can't. That's right. And that happens to a lot of kids, um, mostly black and brown kids. Right. You know, you see it happen where they're just destroyed. Their spirits are 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 just stepped on, and that's that's not right. And so that's been my 
my goal is to make sure that every child has an opportunity to, to learn and to feel, feel like they belong. It's yeah, just amazing. It's so important. Oh yeah. my God, it's huge. It is, it is. Well, uh, Asia, should we take a little break, a pause for the cause right now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. And then we'll, we'll be back in a minute. Yes. Okay. Everybody's good. Let's get back into it. Okay. All right, folks. So we had some good conversation going on the break, and we had to bring it back to you all. So back to, we got into this conversation about uh, back to school address that President Obama. We're talking about how hard having. it is to be a black principal. But this is an example Absolutely. of it's what you do. Hard. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so I, I remember the time when um, President Obama was the president and the teachers, you know, loved the president, but our community did, didn't, not all of them. And so what we had to do is um, we would show his address on the, the screen. Everybody was watching it at 11 o'clock in the morning or what have you. There were some families that didn't send their kids to school or I had to have them in the library while he did his address because they didn't want their kids to be uh, watching a socialist. The, the president of the United States of America. Uh, the president of the United States of America. Now, that didn't happen when Bush was the president. Nope. Mm -hmm. But it did happen with Obama being the president. And so I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I mean, there's so many experiences. I remember um, a Ku Klux Klan leader lived in the neighborhood and um, I had a Klan sticker on my, this is when I was teaching, on my door, somebody put a Klan sticker on my door because really I was the only black teacher at yeah. that time mm -hmm. in that school. And then there was a dean that was black and um, it was on my door. I went down and told my principal and she did nothing about it. Hmm. Not, Jeanette, I'm so sorry, or, oh my gosh, I put it on the sticky note. I said, this is what I found on my door. I don't even know if she knew how to address it. That's right. She didn't know what to do, but nothing. I mean, I mean, that's, so when you're talking about struggles as a black employee, a black teacher, a black principal, those are it, being excluded from meetings, especially if you're not, if you're an assistant principal or a administrator in another school, you're excluded from meetings. So their doors close, the white administrators, and then you've got your door open and you're working and then decisions are made and you have no idea of what's going on. Um, that's happened too. So there's, there's, I could really go into some deep stuff around race at my first school when I was teaching. Um, it was, it was prevalent. I mean, it was happening in that neighborhood. Uh, leaflets were put on cars. Mm. Um, I had some kids that were associated with um, the Ku Klux Klan and, and some of them soldiers out there. And one little boy, he was a part of it. He was part of the racist, the racial um, group, but he always did all his work for me. Um, and he says, you're protected. We're not going to mess up your car, but we'll mess up the others. I mean, wow. just, yeah, um, it, it was bad. It was really, really bad at that time. Uh, but then we just, the Justice Department stepped in and um, pretty much uh, took care of everything. But it was, it was really bad. Kevin said something on the break that I think is worth talking about, too. And Kevin talked about like this. We hear the same story every episode. Mm -hmm. Kevin, can you talk about that some more? Yeah, I mean, I I just think it's it's funny. Or, or it's not funny. It um and it and it it becomes it's not surprising. But I think in particular when we have black women, especially black women who move through education mm -hmm. into uh, leadership positions how similar the story is in terms of, of, of when black women advocate for black kids, right? That, that that's when, you know, you have, you have to deal with 
all of the other aspects of the community coming back down on you, right? And I don't think that's, I, I know that's not the way it is for white educators, for mm-hmm. white ed, administer, administrators and, and leaders, let's say that, yeah. you know, and, and, and white women leaders. And um, in fact, even when sometimes they're doing the same things, you know what I mean? Even when they're like, you have white uh, leaders who are allies, you know, who are trying to attempt to put, you don't see the same sort of uh, blowback or, 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 you know. But it happens. I I had a student, she was, uh, she was top of the class and, and, you know, you have those award ceremonies at the end of the year. And I made sure she got like at least five of them. Yes. Yeah. And um, the teachers were like, which were white, were like, well, why is she getting all the awards? Because all these white kids get all the awards every year. So she's going to get the awards this year. And I yeah. made the decision. I'm this teammate. Yes. But, yeah. but, you know, why can't she get all the awards? You know, she was making the grades. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, a, I, I, I think that's important. And then you also mentioned, here's another thing that I'd just love to hear you say more about mm-hmm. um, is the teachers union. Because I've seen Mm -hmm. this and right now I'll just say, you know, for all transparency, I'm part of the DCTA bargaining team working Mm -hmm. with the union. And it's an attempt to have more diverse voices at the table during bargaining. But but your your experiences and and you mentioned that you had to fight them. So can you talk about that? Absolutely. Here's the thing is that um, I was in a teacher's union when I was a teacher. Um, And I am pro teachers union, especially when uh, employees are being mistreated. Yes. Um, But where I'm not pro teachers union is when you try to, um, you know, play that role of protecting someone who is incompetent in the classroom um, and someone who just isn't the right fit for the school. And you just keep continuing to pick, 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 pick and push, 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 push on somebody who doesn't even belong with kids. And that's my issue with the teachers union. I think that my experience as a, te- as a principal with the teachers union was strictly around race. Yes. I was a black principal. Um, they did not like me that I was the one to have to tell them what to do. Hmm. And, and, that's, and that's where we fell apart. Am I for teachers union? Absolutely support them hundred percent. I'm pro teacher, but when you're putting somebody in the classroom that is, is not a fit for the classroom or for kids, then that's why I have a problem with the teacher's union and always wanted to get paid. So I know you're, you're, but but you know what I'm saying? You, you want to nickel and dime the system when you're not putting in a hundred percent. That's right. That's right. You want the, the system to pay you a hundred percent, but you ain't doing it. That's you know, right. my, my issue with the teachers union is when you protect those teachers and say, well, they need more money so the kids can learn. Well, wait a minute. You have a contract. You have an obligation to these kids. That's right. Um, and that's what I struggle with, with the teachers union as well. It's like, we got to show some results. When you get results, then you can get a little something extra. But when you're not giving results and blaming kids and families, we got an issue. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So um, that's that's my issue with the teachers union. I have to say, like, when I was I was in, uh, I would say, I don't even know what how to describe the situation. But when I was teaching and I went to the teachers union to support me because I was experiencing racial battle fatigue from mm-hmm. my principal. Yes. Um, and I, I think I want to do I'm going to do a Desmond Williams. I'm going to just name like. When I was experiencing racial battle fatigue from Shelly McCourt at Stuyvesta Middle School in Cherry Creek School District. Wow, I, um, I love it. There it is. Um, I talked to my, I talked to the person who was in charge of union in my area and I talked to him. So white male said, this is racial. He, she's being racist. And I'm, and I'm telling him and I could see in his face that as soon as I mentioned race, he was just done with the conversation. Mm. Like nothing that I was saying after that made, like it made no never mind. Mm-hmm. And I thank God for Jackie Parkins, who I'm sure you know, Kevin, is like amazing. She's a great person who, who believed my story. But at the time, the union didn't, was not able to help me to name race in that yep, conversation. Yep, yep. 
right? Um, and so, yeah, I too, I am 100% teachers union. I am from Detroit. I am, so my dad is a UAW man. You, you, blood. You, you, Ford, blood. Water Company, pension, the works. Even That's now, shout out to Von Tolliver out there, daddy. Hope you're listening. But in that <laughs> case, for me, as a Black woman, I was not supported. So I can understand what you're saying. Well, but don't you think that the district that you were in had gone through uh, all of that equity work year after year yeah. after year. I mean, my goodness, that equity work started in the mid nineties. Hmm. And you year after year after year, it was embedded into the culture. And now you have a teacher's union that can't even recognize it. Yes. And so what does that say about maybe the leadership or about individual people that don't want to face the fact that there's racism in public schools yeah. and it's happening. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. It is. It's, it's all over. It's, it's, all in. it's over. in the threads. It's in the fabric. It's in the ink. It's in the That's everything. Right. That's right. It yeah. is. And so it's unfortunate, but I'm glad you got out of your deal. Ooh. <laughs> and I wrote that letter. Uh, and speaking right. of, so you decided to leave mid-year um, unless we wrote your letter and you're like walking out. Tell us that feeling like this is it. I know I'm ready to go. And you're 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 packing your boxes. Tell us about that. So when I uh, decided to resign, uh, wrote the letter, um, I felt I felt, first of all, I, I felt OK, but a little fearful because. Um, when I moved to Colorado, um, you know, the job was the job. I just had, that was my only career related job. And so I had it for 24 years and now I quit. And so I think about, oh my gosh, what about health insurance? Well, I was married. My husband got the health insurance. Um, you know, I'm used to, you know, being on my own. I'm used to having my own money. Um, and I had some, some funds saved in my, my district, um, uh, you know, pay the district paid me out my my sick days, but it was just a fact that I had to really trust God, and mm -hmm. and that's I really had to have faith in Him and trust Him, and that eased my mind. And so I went into um, um, just a prayerful life, reading my Word, um, sticking to the Word, being close to God, and then all of a sudden my church job came. And that was when I worked with East High School. Oops, I'm not supposed to say that, but a high school, <laughs> Timber. That's fine. You can I, name schools if you want. It's fine. Okay. Um, I worked with some kids out of East High School, and I had about 10 kids. And I worked with them on race. I worked with them on understanding culture. We did some police work. We had some guest speakers. We had all mm -hmm. kinds of things. And it was only a year. And, I, and I, we had a conference in the spring. And they taught their peers how to advocate for themselves when it came to race, policing, and community justice advocates. They did privilege walks. They did a presentation on Know Your Rights. I had a speaker come in and, and do some Know Your Rights. I worked with Brother oh, Jeff. Awesome. Yes. And Brother he Jeff. did some stuff in the community. He walked them around the community. So it was a big deal. And um, you know, at that time, we had a lot of police brutality, you know, stopping kids and checking yep. backpacks and all that stuff, which we still do. Mm -hmm. um, but they knew what to do and what to say. And that's what they were teaching their peers to know what to do and what to say. Um, worked in Denver quite a bit um, with Denver Public Schools at this time. So it was just a little different. It wasn't where I've come from, but uh, it was still some of the same issues. Yeah. And I enjoyed it, but just trust. I have faith in God. I had to trust him. And then here comes my new school district, which is the lowest performing school district in the state of Colorado after I worked with the church. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I will say something and and you're not in um, working in the traditional school district. And we do want to hear about this, this next school district. It, um, but I, We've had so many conversations like, what, what's next? My resume only says teaching. What am I supposed to do now? How am I, who's going to want to hire a teacher who's only taught fifth grade or only did this? And, and, and so much of that narrative, I hear that from educators, right? 
And I don't, I know that some folks may not have like a spiritual life or whatever, but I think that having like believing in self at least, <laughs> at least believing in you yep. is going to get you much farther than I can't do this. I, what about the life insurance? My para, Lord knows people depend oh, on yeah. para more that than they para. should. Um, so like I didn't I, think about para. Para was just gonna sit there. Para, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Until we can use it, and so I'm glad to hear you say like you know you found space in in your church, a place that you'd already been, mm-hmm. you know, going to as a place to to do the work that you felt that was very fulfilling. Um, can you tell us about the that you left? Didn't leave the church, but you are now going to another school district. So what, so it's kind of like this, and, and this is how it ended, this is how I ended my career as well, is that you have to know yourself and you have to know when it's time to leave. And so, um, and I believe that I knew when it was time to leave the church when I became very frustrated with systems that I weren't in charge, I wasn't even in charge of. I, I just knew that I didn't belong there anymore. I go to church there still but I'm not working in the office. Mm -hmm. And I became very, very flustered and frustrated and mad. And it wasn't, I wasn't mad at any individuals. It's just where I was at that time. And so I knew that it was time for me to move on to another school district. Uh, It was time for me to go back to work. Um, God had given me a break. And that's what I see what happened um, when I left my first school district is that I had a chance to take a break Um, I had a chance to regroup, get my head on right. Um, I noticed in my experience from going from the school district to the church is that I started to work with Hispanic people. Um, I started to only have interest in Hispanic folks. So when my new school district comes around, which is Adams 14, it's predominantly Hispanic. Now, could I speak Spanish? No. But I had an idea of who was in the district and what their needs were when I arrived there. Um, and, and, and it was almost like I was called, you're summonsed. Um, and I'm like, but you know what? I may not be qualified, but I was qualified when I got there. The goal for me at Adams 14 as an HR director, because that's where I started, was to work with the climate and culture because the climate and culture had just been really bad and poor. Um, People were angry, upset. They feel feel like they've been betrayed. Um, Just all of that was poor. And so my goal in that department was to change the climate and culture. And I did that. Um, I did it for about a year and a half. And then I moved up into being the... um, executive director of curriculum instruction and the same goal for that. And the messenger was the superintendent. And he said, I want you to do what you did in HR. I want you to make this climate and culture uh, conducive so that people could work Uh, because there have been some times where people weren't listened to or heard or had a voice. Um, People weren't recognized for their talents Um, They weren't appreciated. All of those things, the whole value system was not there. And so I did that as as an executive director of curriculum instruction. I also had an opportunity to uh, uh, adopt curriculum for, and our team did, for uh, uh, pre-K-12 language arts and pre-K-12 math. And so we did that work. We had an opportunity to bring in AVID and that was under my leadership. Um, We had had opportunities. I set up in HR, I set up what we called um, the uh, Adam Stars. So we were able to recognize employees from every department within that district so that people could feel like they were valued and recognized. So there were a number of things that we did in Adams as I was there in those roles. And then I went into the director of equity. And it was interesting that there was great success in um, the curriculum instruction department, but the person that was coming into that role wanted to do that role. So they found me another role. And you know, it always happens that we always go to equity. Yes. Oh, well, uh, let's go ahead and 
Talk about, Talk about that, that, please, please. So we always go to equity and, but there's no, there was no thought, no one thought about what this would look like except for me. Yep. And so, um, you know, I started calling people out in meetings and not in a negative way, but you know, you would get white silence, right? When we start raising the fact that black kids aren't learning or, you know, how are you going to treat parents, these Spanish speaking parents, and you're not even waiting on them. You barely invite, invite them to the meetings. You know, we need to recognize that, but we get the white silence when it comes to uh, equity. And so what I did with that is that I introduced it through a listening tour. So I listened to, to staff members throughout the district and it's, it's prevalent. I mean, racism was happening in the schools. White teachers would say it was happening. They would say that they were talking bad about parents and saying that they were lazy and didn't want, didn't love their kids. And I mean, they were talking about the kids. They were talking about each other. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I had. And then I also had an equity lecture series. And so we invited Dr. Rosemary Allen to talk about race. And a lot of people were on. I had Baruti Kafele come in and talk about, um, about race in schools and leadership. I had Pedro Nagara come in and talk about equity. And then I had uh, Colleen, I can't think of her name. Uh, she talked about, uh, I had the Western Educational Equity Assistance Center for Metro come in and do mm-hmm. some work. I worked with Darlene um, Sampson, Dr. Darlene yeah. Sampson. Yep. She's on our show. Yep. Yep. She's like my, she was like my mentor. You know, she was my guide. She guided me through all of this. But by the time I got to the second year, and this comes to the end of my career, um, they didn't want the work. Um, And I don't know if God didn't want me to get into that work or they didn't want me to get into the work. So I never got to come up with my, my equity team to talk about a vision, mission, goals. But I wrote the vision, mission, goals. I wrote it. I based it off the data. And I at least we had some kind of framework or a plan that we could work from. We could tweak. I was always open to make the changes. But the superintendent, the, the deputy superintendent, they weren't ready for it. And I knew they weren't ready for it. And so um, September... I can tell you the day, September the 27th, I spoke with my supervisor. Um, They had asked me to go and work in a school with kids. And the school was just out of control. It was turnaround. Um, It was a school that was functioning poorly. The teachers, I mean, everything that you read in the book, it was there. It was in that school. The lack of resources, no one paid attention to it. A poor principal. Um, making changes that had already been um, set in stone. And it was just a messed up place. September 22nd, I, 27th, I talked to my um, supervisor and I said to her, I said, this is bigger than me and you're going to have to have more resources. And by the way, tomorrow I'm meeting with Para. I'm retiring. I knew in March of 2021 that I was not going to finish out the school year in Adams 14. Mm. And I knew I needed to be out of there by October. Mm -hmm. And so that morning on September 27th, when I did my Bible study, I was reading about Moses and he asked God, what am I supposed to do? We got this big water out here. And he's, and he told him what to do. And he says, get to moving. I'll show you what you need to do. And sure enough, that was my word to tell, to tell my supervisor, I'm not coming back. And so she asked me, so you're going to retire? I'm going to retire. At the end of the year? Well, probably not. Mid-year? Well, probably sooner than later. And by October 7th, I was done. Mm. And I got out of there, that, which takes you to Lincoln Hills. Nate Howard um, if you know him, Dr. Nate Howard, Nathaniel Howard, he was over, I was on his board for Lincoln Hills Cares. And, uh, he had asked me to come like a year before all of this happened. And he was running Lincoln Hills Cares. He was doing the work for the East End program. And so I retired, I I told him I was going to leave on that, 
on uh, the 27th, the 28th, I went to para on the 29th, I went to HR on the 30th, I uh, submitted my letter to re retire and Nate passed away. Mm. Suddenly passed away. And um, then the next week I said, I talked to HR, I said, hey, I need to, I need to get out of here. And by the seventh, I was done. On the eighth, I went to his funeral. Wow. And then the next month, I was asked to step into his role. Hmm. Wow. So tell us. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it goes on our show, huh, Kevin? That's right. That's <laughs> right. You can... True um, stories. Yeah. Real talk. Yeah, that's yeah. real talk. Okay. So, she doesn't know what to do. I don't. I mean, you know, I'm all about alignment. Mm -hmm. I know I love teaching before the panorama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I think the, I, I don't, I, when I, when I took my ID off of my keys and threw my ID into the garbage can on the last day of school. Yes. With no job. So thus far, I did, I could have never predicted that we would have been in a pandemic and all the things and having to like think about going back to school and putting my kid back in schools. And when I, she's been home since the pandemic mm -hmm. started because I've worked from home. So like alignment and like listening to spirit or like, that's just, I, I, I feel like I can't go wrong in that. Um, so now I guess this comes to our second, our second to last question, which is like, so you're at Lincoln Hills Cares. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your work. What's going on over there? Tell me, tell us all, oh. tell our audience about it, how they yeah, can and tell, all tell the, the people the history of Lincoln Hills, because I think yes. a, a bunch of people, you know, outside of Colorado and inside of Colorado don't even know. Well, Lincoln Hills is, um, I believe, back into maybe the 1930s and 40s. Um, during that time period in America, you knew that. African-American people weren't allowed to go and swim and have the fun within their communities or in those areas. And so um, with Lincoln Hills, I believe Mr. Winks um, had paid for some property up in the mountains, up in Gilpin County, close to Boulder, close right next to uh, Blackhawk. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a mountain area where uh, cabins were built um, people could pay, I believe, like $100 per their property and cabins. Um, it was in the 30s. And um, African-Americans could go up and, um, you know, camp outside, swim, enjoy the outdoors life that they couldn't do in the metro area. Mm -hmm. And so when the people got up there, you could, the train would ride up in that area. So there's a train track right next to it. You would see people get off the train with their luggage and stuff. And then they would camp out on the property. There's a place called Link's, Wink's Lodge. And Wink's Lodge was the lodge where you could go eat, dine, entertainment. And there were some cabins that were built. And there were some people that could pay for their cabins. And then the Great Depression came and then some people lost their cabins. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a cabin up there. I do know that Lena Horn stayed in. And it's yeah. there. I've seen it. And so cool. it's, it's a place where African-Americans could go and retreat, regroup, and then get back on the train and go back home and deal with all the racist stuff that they had to deal with. You could fish, swim, hike, all of that, and yes. have a good time up in Lincoln Hills. So it's, it's African-American owned. I do know uh, Robert F. Smith is, um, and Matthew Burkett um, have invested into Lincoln Hills. Um, there is the Fly Fisher Group, um, that is up there where Matthew Bur Burkett owns that. And you can be a part of that organization where you can fish at Lincoln Hills currently. What we have now is we have uh, Lincoln Hills Cares is the foundation. And the, oh, found okay. excuse me, Lincoln Hills Cares is the corporation. And I work for okay. the foundation. Okay. And so within the corporation, you have um, outdoor education for, and it's for kids who are, um, marginalized and in and living in impoverished areas so mostly black and brown kids and it doesn't mean that everybody black and brown is marginalized that's right but it does mean that there are kids that don't have opportunities 
that need those opportunities in the mountains and can experience outdoors that they've never experienced before. It's like going downtown and some of the kids have never been downtown. So now you have an opportunity to go to the mountains. And so we have in Lincoln Hills Cares Corporation right now, you have an outdoor education program. That's a summer program. It's a day camp. It's only one day you go up, they take kids up every day and they do all kinds of educational activities up there with kids. Then we also have a program called Pathways. Pathways is um, where, and it's aligned with youth development. So Pathways is where you get young people jobs through uh, the city and county of Denver, and you go around and do environmental work within the community. So you may see those kids um, painting off the graffiti off the walls, or they may be picking up trash, but not knowing why they're picking up trash. And so that's an area that I know that I want to help the leader of that work on is that you've got to educate kids on what's the importance of environmental science with picking up trash, um, which is the leave no trace work. And then um, you also have Easton. And I'll go into Easton because that's where I'm really working. And that's where Nate was, Nate Howard. And it's an environmental program, environmental science program. And so our learning framework is trout in the classroom. And so we create a, a hatchery in a classroom. No, that's great. Kids. So in the fall, we train the teachers. And our goal is to have the teachers participate in the outdoor ed um, uh, teach the outdoor ed classroom prior to their students coming up. The kids get to come up. They get to stay on the property. They pick up all the critters, go through all the, take a hike. Um, they make sure that they're doing some science work or water conservation work out in the outdoors. And then they go back down to their classrooms and we supply the sensors, the tanks, the eggs, and we set up that whole tank in their classroom. And so the teachers are provided with lessons. They're provided with professional development. It can be interdisciplinary. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just science. The the curriculum is aligned with the next generation science standards. So it's aligned with the state on what we're doing. It's about a a, a eighth and ninth grade uh, program. So middle school, high school, it's not really elementary. And um, kids will have that tank in their classroom and they they can learn from what's happening. You can do measurements for math with data. Uh, You can do some writing in language arts. You can do water rights and social studies. I mean, there's a different things that we can do with that program. It's 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 in the infinite stage. We just started this program in September. Oh, wow. Um, Just started in September. So now we're in two schools. One, we're in a high school in Aurora. Uh, we were in a high school in Prairie View. We're getting, excuse me, in um, 27J. Uh, we're getting ready to go possibly out to Sheridan and back into Adams 14 in the middle schools. Um, my goal, and then also one school in Denver we're okay. going to be working with. My goal is to have 10 schools by 23, 22, 23, 24 school year um, that we can grow this program. It's a phenomenal program because it's aligning with STEM and STEM is about solving problems. I just saw Calvin Mackey uh, with Metro State College. He did a fantastic job, but he just laid it out there. It's about solving problems in your community and we want kids to be in STEM programming. And that's what our goal is, is to ultimately get them to STEM careers. And that that's what we're doing. I hope, I hope that gives you some kind of explanation on what we're doing. <laughs> Definitely. I love it. I and love then I it. need money. So if anybody wants to donate. Totally. What's your website? Yeah. How do they donate? Um, LincolnHillsCares.org. That's all you need to go on. And there's a donate sign up there. And that's how you can donate. Donate as much as you want, because this is about STEM programming. It's about the future of our kids. And it's about getting black and brown kids um, or poor kids, poor white kids into positions so that they can be um, marine biologists in the ocean, or they can be uh, water treatment managers, or yes. they can be wildlife photographers. I mean, there's all kinds of jobs out there for kids, uh, but if they don't have access and understand it, they won't know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome, Kevin. Thank you for making sure to mention like the history. Like, let's talk about the history of Lincoln yeah. Hills for sure. 
Yeah. Um, Kevin, do you want to take it away with our last question? I, I, I last question. I think our most important question, mm -hmm. Dr. Okay. Patterson, what brings you joy right now? <laughs> you know, what brings me joy right now is that I can take care of myself. And I hate mm. to be selfish about that. Right. Um, because if I'm not taking care of myself, I can't help others. And so right now, there's, there's a couple of things, but for right now, it's being able to work from home and work remotely Yes. and to focus on the work so that it has meaning and it makes sense and it, and it, everyone benefits from it. And that's what really brings me joy. Um, and just, just being able to do stuff like this, talk about education. I think that really brings me joy. I'm not out of education. I'm going to go back in. I don't know what it looks like, but I right now I'm in a place of rest. Yes. Um, I do know this this nonprofit. I, I was there for a reason. Uh, some of it is there, you know, working with the mission, vision, goals, setting up the program, because I'm talking. Dr. Howard was at the outdoor education program and the next week he was gone mm. and that was in September. And so really just starting this program, um, that would be my second piece of joy is making sure that his program gets off and going and running so that, because this is what his love was, is STEM work. But that's really what brings me joy and just being alive and, you know, speaking to people and living and kind of doing my own thing right now. Yes. I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm not tied up with the bureaucracy of of all that stuff that happens, you know, I, I still have some thoughts around public education and, and some of the things that need to happen. It may not be race diversity, but I believe it's belonging and inclusion. I yes. think that you can, you can get to race and diversity with belonging and inclusion. Um, that's, that's what brings me joy. I love that. I love that. And I love that you said, that you are being selfish. I love when black women have the chance because as, as a person who's been a lot of recipient of care from black women, mm -hmm. y'all deserve to be, y'all deserve to be I, selfish. I'm just gonna be selfish. And you know, right now, because you know, we all as educators, we've always taken care of somebody. You know, even if it's not at your house, it's, yep. it's in the classroom, yep. you know, to go to school and to, you know, you got to give somebody a comb or, you know, this person needs that or, you know, you got toothbrush and toothpaste in the classroom or, you know, I've been in a situation where they were providing clothes for a family that had bed bugs, yep. you know, and they're washing clothes every day. I'm like, that's we at some point we can't do that. Yep. We're here to teach kids. And so, um, yeah, I have to be selfish at this right now. I do. I, this is my time to rest, prepare, and there'll be something else out there for me. Yes. To help, to help people. Because the, the, the goal of public education and the goal in life is we're here to help other people. We're not here just to only help ourselves. And I think that's what's happening in our country right now is that we're so focused on ourselves that we forgot that we're here for a reason everybody has a gift and if everybody was doing their gift then um we would be a, we would be in a better place but everybody's not doing their gift everybody's doing whatever they want to do and besides our country doesn't know who we are anyway it's true and that's the whole problem with with our country today is if we just knew who we were um and accepted who we were then we would be in a better place. Hmm. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great note to end on, Kevin. Yes, I, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. Yeah. Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for coming You're on welcome. our podcast. This was great. Thank you. So great. Kevin, you have any words for us? Uh no, nope, nope. Dr. Patterson, I just thank you. Thank you. For, Thank for, you for the wisdom and your experiences and what you've gone through. And we just can't wait to see what's next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And say it one more time, where can folks go to donate? They can go to um, Lincoln Hills Cares 
www.lincolnhillscares.org, www.lincolnhillscares.org. Go on the website. There's a big donate sign there. That's right. Thank you. Well, folks, exit interview folks out there, you heard it. Donate. Do what you have to do. Spread That's right. The word. Dr. Patterson, thank you so much. Thank um, you. We will see you all on another episode. Bye. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good night. You too. Night. All right, Kevin, another hot one. Who do we um, have today? We have the great Dr. Jeanette Peterson. Patterson. Patterson. God dang it. Patterson. Let's do it again. Do it again. I messed up. Okay. Okay, Kevin, who do we have on today? We have the eminent Dr. Jeanette Patterson. And she's got a fire story, y'all. Fire story. And uh, we'll just say we won't spoil it, but there's some callbacks. There's references to people that have been on the podcast. It's a great one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And as always, you know, we're we're loving folk stories, Black women coming on. And she, like, I have to, spoiler alert on this one. I'm just going to give it away. It's about Black rest. Black rest. Black rest. Yes. So um, definitely listen to this one. Um, as always, we love to hear feedback. And we, of course, we want more folks on our show, right? That's Kevin, right. We haven't That's done right. a call, call out for folks to come and join us on the exit interview. So if you're a Black educator who's interested, who's left education and interested in coming and telling us about your story, please come on. But until then, Dr. Jeanette Patterson, let's go. Let's go. Let me say my story before I go. Don't take it down. Why do I need to finish?